Hello, and welcome to another episode of African Joe Paddy. My name is Ife, and I'm recording from sunny Staffordshire. Today, we're going to be talking about helicopter research and data collection from countries in the global south, especially in Africa. Hello everyone, I am Dehia and I am uh, the co-host on African Geoparty and I'm recording today especially from Dar es Salaam in Tanzania. And uh, as Ife said, we're recording about we're recording today about helicopter research, especially in Africa. Yes, where most people travel with mosquito repellent because before they realize that they get bitten more in the south of France. Talking about myself, at least, uh, this is a bad joke. I know. Uh, anyways, we have <laughs> Dr. Isigi, um, Dr. Nelly Isigi to talk about this topic. Um, so, Nelly, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Well, thank you for having me on Africa Geopardy. Uh, my name's uh, Dr. Nelly Sigi Kadagi. I work as a fishery scientist. I see myself as an educator and a conservation leader who's very passionate about engaging stakeholders in my home country, Kenya, Africa, and uh, basically globally, because I believe in the work that um, research do to help policy and um, help people. I primarily work on um, large pelagic uh, fish species, um, mostly billfish, and I also am um, also interested in understanding fisheries conflict among different uh, user groups. That's pretty much it. And uh, also, currently, I am starting to work as a postdoctoral fellowship with the Secure Fisheries and University of Denver here in Colorado. And I'm also the director of research for the African Billfish Foundation that's best in Kenya. That's all for now. That's quite an impressive profile there. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah. So, well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Isigi. And just to clarify what we mean by helicopter research, <laughs> we don't literally mean getting into the aircraft and, and all, but by not far research. from it though, not far from it. Yeah, well, yeah, but not literally. And yeah. I think it's important for us to clarify what we mean. It typically describes when researchers from wealthier countries, especially those in the global north, fly to developing countries such as those in the global south, primarily countries in Africa, Nigeria, Gabon, Mozambique, Somalia, um, Equatorial Guinea, or those in Asia, Bangladesh, India, Indonesia, or even countries in Latin America, Guatemala, Venezuela, collect data or collect samples and then fly back to their countries and then publish the results of the research with very little involvement of local scientists or researchers. At best, these yeah. local researchers or scientists are used to provide um, logistics and if they are lucky they might find their name somewhere in the acknowledgement section of the paper if they are lucky well yeah or yeah or if they are lucky they might get cited actually like not meaning that there is plagiarism there but um 
basically the use of their own expertise because they don't, you know, there's, we talked about this, there's this bias of publications in the last episode and um, mm -hmm. gray reports or gray literature, if you will, is not necessarily as much cited as, as peer-reviewed papers. So there is, there is something else, another layer there. Uh, but there are a lot of examples here. Um, and basically there is what I call the practice of grab and go of data. Um, there is the bullying its way to obtaining the data and the information. There is the paying its way to obtaining data and information, even into engaging and workshops. And we had an example, a recent example of this uh, that we can talk about later. Um, uh, there is also what I call the blue eye syndrome, um, which you can also talk uh, about. Oh, yeah. yeah, it's like something where it's easier for you to have information or data when, you know, you don't necessarily have blue eyes, but when you're a Caucasian foreigner, it's sometimes easier to have that. And unfortunately, you know, a lot of us might buy into that practice because it's easier sometimes to have that information. Any other examples, Nelly, that you know of? Well, the, some other examples such as um, using puppets, basically people that can talk the same language or just agree with uh, uh, what uh, the researchers are intending to do. There's also the aspect of uh, fixing the problem without really understanding what exactly the problem is at uh, grassroots level. There's also the aspect of uh, uh, and with that comes the issue of not uh, thinking in a systemic way, because um, in these places there are systems in place and there's uh, the why and what and how people choose to do things. And then the other aspect that has also come into my experience is a one-way vision where you come in, you want to do this, and that's the only way that you want to do. So those are main examples. Yeah, we're, 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 I think that these are really beautiful examples, uh, sad examples as well, because um, there are some development agencies who would have a vision of how things should be working because that's what the, that it, their experience tells them. And this is not a stereotype. This is actually the truth. We're just not citing names here. Uh, where they go into a country and they have that vision and they want to implement their vision, for instance, of co-management, for example, um, and they actually not destroy, but they disturb the existing local cultural practices, which, you know, one can learn from and or, or, or use um, and use those puppets basically to, to get there. Um, and destroy the local knowledge or maybe uh, undermine it, basically. So I, I, I think that it all joins a little bit. It's not necessarily research, but it's a, a matter of research and engagement because we're supposed to do research and engagement uh, in our day and age. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and this is why it is actually as we're hoping that with making this record, not only are we sort of shining a light on this issue, which, by the way, a lot of people have written about it. There's been a lot of short piece, even in 2018, a piece was, was written by African researchers in Nature, talking about um, sort of a control on how um, data, genomic data is collected from the continent. And so this is hoping that whether this affects you directly, indirectly, as our listeners, that you sort of understand that if for example you you happen to be one of those that just fly in collect the data for three days and then go back and then write this amazing paper i have no doubt that obviously it's going to be amazing but then 
the representation or the impression that is given from the result is, is basically like you're this superhuman that I've done this by yourself without support from anyone. And, and in my introduction, <laughs> when I was trying to explain <laughs> the meaning of, well, yeah, you can't blame me. Um, when I was trying to explain the meaning of helicopter research, I, I, I said, if they are lucky, they are acknowledged. Because in certain instances, and I have seen where these people write these things and I'm like, marveled. So how did they get all this data? And then not even a name of a scholar from the global south or from the continent or if well, the fact that we're focusing on Africa, but even in the acknowledgement, they don't acknowledge any like thanks to this community or this agency or these researchers or this. And so as human, even if we wanted to sort of remove the intellectual hat off, it's basically, I feel anyways, unacceptable to continue in this practice in 2019. So if you're listening to us, um, I hope you learned something out of it. And if you're also listening to us and you're already doing right by sort of collaborating and doing the right thing and including people from the areas you're researching and then thank you so very much for, for being so amazing. And, and you know, go ahead, you know, you know, Dr. Ife, you, you bring a very important uh, point and this reminds me of um, a story I was sharing with a colleague who really experienced this, where this is very recent, I think, I can't remember if it's 2019 or 2018. Hmm. And uh, this researcher from the Global North went to a forest in East Africa, and they, um, they discovered uh, a frog. Now, this forest is one of the places where the locals have been collecting firewood. Uh, they've been, you know, they've been walking in there and they've basically seen this frog and even to navigate through the trees, I'm pretty sure that there was someone that was showing them around. You can't just fly in and find your way through a forest that has existed there for so many years. And so it's a matter of thinking about how to give people credit. And at the same time, taking even if it's anonymized, that yes, and at the same time, taking the ownership that they are local experts, and we might uh, these local experts might not have described this um, this frog in nature or something like that, but finding a way to say who knows about this frog? Do you guys know about it? And can we write about it? Or if you've written about it, how can we amplify your voices? You know, go on, Doctor Dear. It, it just reminds me of a story, actually. Um, it's basically what, especially what you, you just said earlier, if it, um, it's, it's shooting oneself in the leg, not to include the local expertise, at, at least in the acknowledgements, but even more to actually not have co-authorships co and making sure that the local experts have a say in the paper and in the research. Because um, I remember one time we went to a workshop at the FAO and we were told that when we were doing the catch reconstructions, like basically reconstruction fisheries catches in, in West Africa, we were told that it's all doing the research from our offices uh, in mm -hmm. Canada and we were not engaging with the local researchers. And thankfully that was not the case because we had most of the research whenever we could. Um, we had local researchers either author them as first authors or, or maybe have like a, a consortium of authors, but it was really important to address that point of saying, actually, no, there is a lot of expertise that comes from the locals. 
and the local experts who know much more than we do, and they're all basically co-authors or the acknowledgements or things like that, but it's shooting oneself in the leg because even though sometimes there's this bias of like, it's not easy to publish with like some, you know, weird names as we have, oh, yeah. <laughs> nature, <laughs> science or something, but it's really shooting the, the even the engagement part um, or flushing it down the toilet, if you will, because if you don't have even though there is the bias, you know, the blue eye syndrome, but if you don't have local expertise in there, um, it's sometimes very difficult to engage with the local authorities. And I, I nearly, um, one example, like the example that you gave about the frogs is basically something that reminds me of a research piece. I believe it was published in Science where they were showing how hawks used fire to, like wooden sticks with fire um, to hunt. They were using that as a tool to hunt, like some sort of um, strategy or technique to hunt. And uh, rodent, and it was published in Science and then there is like this in Australia basically and then there's this group of indigenous people who came out was like well we knew that for years centuries actually it's not new <laughs> you know and this is a matter of engaging and I mean like these researchers even if it's the same country but these researchers might have engaged with the local um, with the local indigenous knowledge um, and the fact that they the research outcomes were a bit ridiculed by the you know local indigenous communities is a, di a direct consequence of the fact that there was maybe a lack of acknowledgement of the local knowledge with regards to that. So I, I I think that it's also shooting oneself in the leg and shooting the engagements, the whole engagement strategy. If one is interested in policy, obviously, or that the research results in policy, um, it's basically shooting oneself in the leg. True, very true, because um, the way um, most uh, researchers in the global south tend to look at this is uh, what I would refer to as a top-down approach, where someone with more power is uh, more likely to come and tell you what to do. And so mm -hmm. that brings me to that aspect where I said a one-way vision. And we mm -hmm. want to uh, support uh, the global south by understanding the aspect of shared vision, uh, promoting that two-way approach where we do get it, you um, have objectives as a global north researcher, but at the same time, these local experts do have objectives. They, they might not come out clear, perhaps, but I think it's a matter of sitting at the table and listening to these voices and saying, what is it that I can bring to the table as well? Yeah. Yeah, it's, and it's, yeah, that is, um, I like the fact that in your descriptions, you actually give very good examples of how this thing sort of presents itself and how in the end it might actually undermine, or should I say, not bring about the result that the researchers were sort of thinking about. And I, I'll give you an example. I don't know if we can just call this an example, but this was an experience of mine. And this happened even way before I started my PhD. And this mm -hmm. was during my master's. I went for a conference and this really amazing scholar from the global north, of course, um, gave this really fascinating um, presentation about insurgency and sort of tried to talk about what was happening in in countries in West Africa, especially with re relation to the emergence of what we call the militants that are now increasingly engaging in piracy and robbery at sea. Mm -hmm. And the vision, I mean, the story he was telling 
basically, and, and even some of the images he shared was of him being in those regions and then making descriptions. Uh, and <laughs> I was at the back and as a Nigerian, I mean, I wasn't even a maritime security expert then because I remember during my master's, I was really into African Union and mediation, but I just attended that conference by, by chance. And then this person was basically taking me back, you know, I don't know, Nelly, I'm sure you'd be more familiar, but um, <laughs> um, Dr. D here, I don't know about you, but you know, um, Nollywood movies, like mm -hmm. African magic movies. I watched <laughs> one. I watched one recently. I watched one recently. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> so I know what you're I'm talking sure, about. <laughs> so I'm sure you know what it reminds you of. So I was just behind, just chuckling. Because this guy, what he was basically saying is, is, is like, is the movie this is not true i mean i am from some of the places i mean i'm from the niger delta but not from the niger niger delta you know like the yeah and so yeah and so i was like no never i was just laughing i i mean i'm not discrediting this person he's probably an expert but the way he talked about things i see he actually brought himself there no acknowledgement even by the end of the presentation he got this really rupturous applause which obviously i'm sure he 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 sort of he's watched the applause but he did not credit any of the people that spotted him to get there without getting hurt you know what i mean like yeah talking to those so-called militants and, and coming away and then becoming an expert and I have no doubt that he's likely to be the one if, one, if someone wants to talk about negotiating with militants or with terrorists, they're likely to be the one that's going to be called and not some researcher from Nigeria or Cameroon or from Ghana. You get what I mean? And so this is why sometimes, and the reason why obviously I've gone round to telling you this long story is this, when you talk about these things, it might convince the governments and policymakers of countries in the global north because this is the notion of the things they know, right? Yeah. And what they hear from what they read. But when yeah. you then try to, especially in this day and age, when you then try to sell that to the local government and the policymakers, they know that this is not their realities. Mm -hmm. You get what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah. sometimes you'll be beating your chest and say, why aren't they accepting this solution? Why are these people being so cantankerous? Why are they not being appreciative of the solution or the policy solution we're giving to them? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is basically mm -hmm. because it is in your head. When I say it's in your head, <laughs> you did not, you did not collaborate with people that know <laughs> the local terrain. That and we can hear you speaking on. from the bottom of your heart, Ife, like this no but that's the thing i'm a very oh my god i'm a very no no you see i'm not shouting you see <laughs> doctor if i i can i can feel i can feel your passion from right here in colorado i can i can really feel it but uh what i see here is something we call or I would basically refer to as fixing the problem, the way you think about it. Like you come yeah. to me, you come to my house or I go to Dr. Dia's house and say, Dia, I'm here and I think I need to fix your kitchen and uh, I think you have a problem in your bathroom and something like that. And sometimes mm -hmm. I like, I, I, I really like to take a step back and think about it in the normal setup 
uh, when you move away from research and think if I came to your house and not asked you what is it that you, you want to be fixed, I'll just say I'm here to fix mm-hmm. your problem. And that's how it's mostly perceived by researchers, unfortunately, in most of the global South countries. And this brings the, the, the pushback. And um, yeah. I've shared with a number of colleagues that work there um, that are best in the global north and are attempting or work in the global south. And they say, well, we, we, are, we are receiving resistance. People don't want to mm-hmm. listen. People are not welcoming. And sometimes mm-hmm. I like to ask them, how did you try to approach the problem? Were you the fixer or did you try to understand what the issue is? Back yeah, to you, dear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's i think it's a, like there are a couple of bold moves out there like the one that you described if it was a really bold move um so if this if this expert um is listening to this you know seriously i'm applauding you for that bold move but seriously like i think it's it's not good not good you know it's just, <laughs> oh yeah, this is about four yeah. years ago, so I'm sure they're they're cool. Yeah, well, maybe they learned. Yeah, maybe they learned. Um, yeah, like speaking about bold moves um, and going back into like the the data um, research thing, um, the data or how do we say? Um, the data grabbing, if you will, yeah. like the, the mm. things and, and the blue eye syndrome. I remember something when I was doing my PhD and the reason why I brought up, like I call it blue eye syndrome because it was literally at the beginning, a question of blue eyes. Um, mm. I remember this colleague of mine, she was amazing, supportive. Uh, I'm saying good things about her so I can say her name, Leah, uh, an amazing okay. person, an awesome and like smart person. She was our TA when I was doing my PhD and, um, mm-hmm. who's working about sharks. She's an expert on sharks. Um, and I wanted to do um, reconstructional Algeria. And I remember I was, in, I, I was reaching out to a former professor of mine, asking him about his thesis, uh, PhD thesis, where he had like a bunch of papers and data on sharks and shark bycatch was basically a treasure chest. His, his thesis was a treasure chest. And uh, it was not, the papers were published, but somehow, it's guarded like a fort, like it was impossible for me to find, you know, like as opposed to the world outside where the more your paper is cited, the, 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 bigger, the bigger its impact is. In Algeria, there is this culture of like guarding the, the research so that it doesn't get stolen by somebody else, even after publication, for some reasons. Mm-hmm. Between Algerians, you know, as a, a matter of context, we don't trust each other, you know, at least they, because, you know, I'm not necessarily part of that context. But it was really that, that I was trying for weeks to get those papers, and, and, and he sees this, and I, I reached out, and I reached out, and he, used, he, he would just, like, send me, like, these things that were broken from where I could, you know, download the internet. <laughs> In Algeria, you know, we don't live with camels and tents, you know, we have internet, and pretty good one, actually, electricity and things <laughs> No. Um, and so basically he he like he you know, drove me nuts for weeks and at a certain point it was really important for me to have that, that that data because there was nothing else that i could think about and i was sitting at the lunch table at ubc like sad and depressed and i didn't know what to do and i needed to prove myself that i was great because i, I was i was actually not doing my phd i was a research assistant wanting to do a phd so i really needed to prove myself there so i was desperate and then Leah comes, is like with her 
blue eyes you know she literally had blue eyes and like blonde hair like real blonde and she comes and she's like what is wrong and I told her like I'm looking for these data and uh, about Algeria you know like the sharks and I'm I'm talking to this expert and he's you know he's not sending me his thesis I don't know what's going on and and so I said oh I have it he sent it to me two weeks ago I was like what link what what how and she was like well he just you know sent it as an attachment in in the email no big deal I I I sent him the email the same day he he answered me and he said and I was you know I was like oh 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 my god I was I was so angry because that is an example and that's when I realized hey actually I should have had blue eyes and blonde hair maybe it would have worked better maybe not a name with two h's in it but you know like it would have helped but that's when Uh the very first time when I realized and I wrote a blog post about that that you know the opposite way or the opposite side also of data grabbing is is working there is this notion of um of um you know, um, that it's not only someone who goes and grabs data, but it's also the notion of like who gives the data and who they give it to. So people take advantage of that from the global north, as you called it, Ife. They take uh-huh. advantage of that. And so it is, it's not the only time, like I, I myself took advantage of that notion by requesting data from Mauritania, which was not known and accessible to anybody, even in the country, through a uh-huh. Western organization, because no other expert in the country had it. And so after I had it, I shared it back with the local experts. But it's something that I also used, basically. And, and, and I'm not very proud of it, but I think I, 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 I kind of bought my forgiveness, if you will, by sharing the data with the local <laughs> experts who didn't have access to it. Uh, but it's something yeah. that happens, unfortunately. Yeah. So I guess obviously we understand um, why. I I I think okay. So it it might be sort of difficult to understand why this is still happening because, like I mentioned earlier, a lot has been written about it, and the reality is that there are a lot of amazing researchers in countries in the global south. The mm-hmm. only problem, obviously, is that they might not have access to as, as much, it's not even might not, they do not have as much access to, to research funding um, like those from the global north. And, and which is why what um, scholars or researchers from countries in the global north have to bring is, is very important. And so rather than see it as a grab and go, relate kind of relationship, go do your thing and then write this amazing paper that makes you an expert in, in, in that country, in that region, which is absolutely within your rights because if you've been studying this region for a while and you know your thing, that's, that, that's your thing, right? Yeah, yeah. Or, or bully your way into getting the data, yeah. Of course, yeah. So, but then why don't we in the spirit of sort of finding a solution to this rather than just talking about it, think about this relationship like in a collaborative way. I mean, yeah. I have to reiterate again from what I said in the first um, I, I, um, podcast that thank God for the internet. Thanks to Twitter, Facebook, and everything else, it's actually more easier for researchers to collaborate, to get in touch with people, to say, I'm doing yeah. this work. Is okay. it possible for us to collaborate? So rather than you seeing them as your research assistant, yeah. Or people that just take that data for you. Why don't you see them as collaborators? I mean, I don't know what you think about this in the spirit of sort of thinking about solution and way forward. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not even 
the, the very, the fact that we have to say there are good researchers in the global south is very sad because we don't we mm-hmm. don't say this about the global we don't say there are very good researchers in the global north who, nobody would ever say that because it's just a well accepted fact so why do we have this yeah. fight for the global south it's very sad and then take it a notch further not not even we have to assert that but we also have to indeed think about it not only as a collaboration but also as a learning experience from these researchers because sometimes in many cases actually in most cases mm-hmm. not all cases they know much more about the global south than the researchers from the global north you know like it, absolutely somebody, right has, so. somebody who has lived there who has who has known at least with with regards to engagement and everything is who is a local expert on that issue is probably more knowledgeable i think mm-hmm. um than someone who has maybe never set foot there you know things like that so it's it's it is i think it's important that we talk about the positive experiences as well um yeah and take it as a learning experience as well here or maybe learning from this um that maybe we're not and when i say we from the global north even though we are not the three of us are probably not. <laughs> okay. um um we're not some white nice going to save the world, you know, and teaching people how to do things. Um, mm-hmm. It's very condescending to think that way. But we, in my experience, we had one thing that we did to overcome this instead, which we did in 2016. And this is just an example. Instead of us going to West Africa from UBC, as we usually did, we brought people mm-hmm. from West Africa to UBC and we opened a safe room for them, basically, like in a, in a kind of a workshoppy way, but like really long yeah. one, 15 days. It was a safe room where they, every one of them, like were experts from the government, from universities, from NGOs, they all sat together and they mm-hmm. shared they were like okay we're going to share information here with no bureaucratic you know bs and they shared information yeah. they published after 15 days you know this was such an awesome experience after 15 days two weeks they published shared information they created the database they wrote a paper that was written at the end of the 15 days they spent like you know there's no such thing as laziness they they would yeah sleep at 11 midnight, wake up at six in the morning, would get together at their hotel and work and work and work. After two weeks, they wrote a a beautiful paper that was featured on the front page and that was published, obviously, on the front page of the New York Times. You know, and this, for me, this was such an amazing experience. It was, you know, like, not co-authored, but the, 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 the first author was somebody that I respect a lot um, who, who happens to be from Guinea and a really well-known researcher in the region and respected researcher in the region who knows a lot about the region. But that was, for, mm-hmm. was an awesome experience of how it could go, go the other way around because we learned a lot during those two weeks and we learned a lot from them certainly as well. Oh, yeah. 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 You know, um, you know, Dr. Dia, you uh, bring a very important point and, um, this just made me smile because you recently gave me a name like, um, what did you describe me? Global engagement expert. I still chuckle about that. <laughs> but um, um, I-, I, want to, I want to give a shout out to our listeners who've been on the forefront of promoting this, um, this engagement in a positive way. Because while we point out the negative aspects, we also want to highlight that there's been examples 
um, where we've seen a lot of these corporations leading to something uh, much more bigger. And hey, hey. personally, personally, I've been a recipient of positive engagement. And I remember this one experience that uh, I will always um, carry with me as I grow into my career of this Australian um, renowned marine biologist. When I first got my appointment as a UNFAO consultant, we started working with him and uh, goodness, he, he, he has he has over 30 years of experience working on billfish uh, recreational fisheries, but mainly um, in the global north. And it was my part as someone coming from the region to sort of like work with him to, um, to up the profile of this work in the region. And um, we went with him through several countries and all the time he gave me an opportunity to own up that I am I'm an expert too. And so those and many other examples um, led me to realizing that I can, be, I can be a researcher, I can be a scientist in my own region and, and have a voice in terms of doing this work. And I think when you look at it from uh, the capacity building perspective, the empowering people, because you both agree that we have amazing scientists, researchers in these countries, and we could do better by mm -hmm. the empowerment and the capacity building and looking at it from a two-way perspective mm -hmm. and not just a, a one-way sort of approach of where one side is gaining more by publishing a lot more in nature and getting the credibility or sort of like their ego boost. Uh, I think there's more that we can learn from the positive outlook. Back to you, Bob. Yeah. So <clears throat> thank you so much for to the two of you for actually sharing the positive good examples and and that is why i guess it's very important to share the two sides of a coin and i liked something that you said about your experience you know the example you gave about ubc i'm bringing um, researchers from west africa to come to the ubc but i guess that will be a, a topic for another day because i also know that increasingly um researchers in the global north have been trying to do it right in terms of collaboration yeah. and trying to learn lessons from researchers from the global south including especially those from the african continent but increasingly visa restrictions it's it's obviously another issue and, and which is why i said this would be a subject for another day but i like the fact that you gave that example so that our listeners can also understand some of the examples of how to do um things right and i'm also grateful to you um dr ishigi for um, sharing your example of the positive um outcome for when you did a, a work for the fao the unfao for my part i also just have to note that um, I have had some good examples and <laughs> positive stories as well, but maybe it's not as amazing or extensive as yours. But what I can say is that I have been quite open, both as in terms of um, um, sort of providing advice and support for scholars from the global north that might want to engage in research or even trying to to go for field work. And I have an experience I wanna share with you. It's not necessarily positive or negative, but this was something that happened and I'm not really sure where it fits in, whether it fits in the, in the blue eye syndrome or whether it fits in in the overconfident um, um, sort of spectrum. 
but this was something that happened um, about three months ago. Someone copied me in an email um, with regards to wanting to go to one of the North Central states in Nigeria. Obviously, this is where mm -hmm. um, the insurgency is quite high and, and sort of a lot of things been happening there with Boko Haram and, and, and the farmer header conflicts that a lot of lives, I mean, almost every week and, and the banditry, a lot of lives have been lost weekly due to this violence. And so I was copied as the fourth person and I was copied because um, my NGO sort of support people that are displaced by the conflict in, in that part of Nigeria. But then this person from um, a global north talked about what they wanted to do in one of the states and how they wanted to support people to understand this is in relation to conflict resolution sort of talking them through rather than the headsmen and fa farmers always fighting. And then they were advised by two people in the group to actually tell the intended or intending researchers not to go because it's actually at the time, it's probably exposing them to risks mm -hmm. and to make sure that they are working with um, with government, so sort of they have government support because of obviously the security um, challenges yeah. and security issues in the region. Mm -hmm. And so we left it at that because that was the best advice we could give because of obviously you have to make sure that you, you take care of yourself and the people that you're going to work with without exposing them to risk. Yeah. But then it was later that the person came back to us about three weeks later to say, actually, um, thank you so much for this, but we're going ahead to go. Really? And they're to go yeah so they are going ahead to go because they have their own kind of security and i i don't have a problem with this kind of confidence with this level of confidence but the problem with this is that you're not only going to expose the people the local researchers you are going with because obviously the reason why they they got in touch with us is they wanted to be connected to local researchers right and Although they went ahead, they said they were going to go and we obviously did not get back in touch, but we, we provided the advice based on the notion that it wasn't safe at the time to actually embark in that research. And why am I sharing this story? I'm sharing this story because, again, it is very important to not only understand contests and in, if you're going to research in, in a country that you've never been to before, you don't understand the circumstances um, of, of situations that's going on there. But at the same time, by your action or inaction, you might actually be exposing the people you might be working with. There are local researchers that are obviously willing to collaborate and eager to help because obviously with, with the research or with the publications, they're they going to put their names out there. You might end up exposing them to certain risks by going ahead or going contrary to advice from experts from local expert and so i'm sharing this because i feel that it resonates with what you talked about about the blue eye syndrome because i'm not really sure what actually is giving them the confidence perhaps they know something we do not know <laughs> i doubt that and I, I don't know if this is relevant to, to to the whole point but i thought it was quite necessary to share this so that in if you're a researcher and you're listening to us it's very important to think about how your actions or in some cases inactions might actually be either endangering the lives of the people you'll be working with or doing them more harm than good. 
Yeah, we had we had an issue in the past where somebody was fired from their position. So they had a senior position because of of them sharing information, um, basically. So even when we give credit, we have to really make sure that we're um, protecting the people, depending on the mm-hmm. situation where they're in, etc. And I, I want just just like make one point when we talk about the global north here, we're not talking about people's faces, but we're talking about the cultural global north and how we are mm-hmm. taught to follow certain practices that are based on what we're saying here. It's not a global everybody from the global north, but the cultural thing uh, practice that makes these issues being perpetuated. But I think that in a more positive um, message here is that we're, I think we're seeing the, you know, we're seeing maybe less and less, at least in my circle, I see less and less of these kind of practices. I still see them. Um, and some, some context, they teach them also in some context to the, you know, students and, and uh, young researchers. Um, but it's not about the people, but it's that cultural cocoon that exists that protects the practices needs to be broken and that's something that we need to really uh, engage with with the global north and the global south as well because it's both ways Um, but i think that we need to work on that a lot to break this kind of cultural cocoon and move on from it or move away from it absolutely yeah we have two minutes left um basically so is there um you know, um, maybe Nelly, something that you would like to say because you're our guest of honor today and a message <laughs> for the really young researchers out there? I think, I think it, I, I, I like how you say it's both ways. And um, there are a couple points that I, I would like to run across really fast. And the first thing we are looking at is shared vision. Promote the two-way traffic so that we are not having uh, one way side of like deals happening and benefits going to one end. And this is for both experts, local experts in these countries and also people that are uh, looking forward to working or are already working in these areas. Um, the second thing I like to think about is more of like a systemic um, thinking, apply that systemic thinking where you're not fixing the problem, but I try to understand, trying to understand what is the grassroots issue? And this comes from talking to the local experts again. Sometimes it might be difficult to talk to them, but there are many ways and examples that I'm sure uh, UD and IFE could give um, outside uh, this recording to say, hey, here is how you can engage an expert in, um, in Algeria, Senegal, Uganda, Tanzania. And I think, Gia, you've seen from this example, you said you're in Tanzania right now. And yeah. I'm sure in our next episode, if I come back again, look, I'm inviting myself. Uh, you to share. <laughs> Thank you. Very happily. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You'll be, I, I really would like you to sort of share the successful part of, you know, you coming uh, to, to, to this part where you get to meet people that at first it seemed like it wasn't uh, doable. The other aspect is sharing credit. I know this has been said a lot and a lot. And, you know, coming from my culture, sometimes it's, we, we might not ask you to give us credit. And so, again, when we think about cultures and how it mixes into things, we hope that common sense, or, although my grandmother used to tell me common sense doesn't prevail everywhere, but mm-hmm. uh, we hope that common sense will prevail. And if you 
uh, we are both working on something, then you're more likely to think credit, give credit where it's due. And then the other aspect I really would like to bring across and in a more sort of like emphasis way is respect the level at which um, you're meeting people. And mm-hmm. I've seen this a lot where um, you find someone who's more junior coming from the, the, the global uh, north areas and meeting senior experts in these countries, but you still, you still um, the person will still look at themselves as the better than uh, these people that have been working in these areas for so many years. And this also goes to the juniors um, in these places as well. So there's just um, many dynamics that come into play that we can talk forever. But I think those are the main things that I see and I have experienced. So when I talk to people, I get to understand that we need to be vocal about it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Nelly. Wow. Um, so, oh, thank you so ahead. much for joining us today. No, I was going to say impressive. I mean, you have just wrapped it up quite um, sort of aptly for our listeners and for us as well. So thank you so much for joining and and thank you for inviting yourself again. We're definitely going to take you up on that offer. And <laughs> I, <definitely. laughs> I, I think yeah. I'm I think I'm excited to hear. It's it's more of me being excited to hear about uh, Dr. Dia's experience on her um, on her East Africa. Oh, you'll hear about it all right. Yeah, and how and how it really relates to this topic. And I think it will be great to invite other people as well that have been um, successful in engaging and making sure that we can we can stop or minimize helicopter science as we go ahead. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Um, so thank you for joining us, uh, Dr. Nelly Izigi. Just to remind um, our audience of your name, you're now based in Denver um, and you're beginning a new adventure, I hear. So um, we wish you luck. We wish you luck. Oh, yeah. Shout out. I am beginning a new adventure working as a postdoc with uh, Dr. Sarah Glesser at Secure Fisheries One Up future and dr carlin Hendricks, a university of denver so yeah i'm so excited about it an amazing power couple Great. yeah <laughs> <laughs> an amazing power couple shout out to sarah and colin absolutely so this is our yes. last episode our last episode saying hopefully not <laughs> our last okay. minutes of our second episode of african jeopardy um and this is dihia with Uh, with Ife and please listen and share and we're going to talk to you next uh, in next month yeah um, thank you so much and like always your feedback is appreciated thank you and ciao ciao